0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Jay and Mike Take Flight podcast. And this week we are discussing Zack Snyder's Justice League cut. It finally hit on HBO Max and we finally got to sit down and watch the film, all four hours of it. You know, it's a long sit through, but a good time. You know, as we all know, this was a movie that was mired in a bunch of setbacks, especially with this cut coming out. A lot of people thought it might never see the light of day. And thankfully, HBO Max decided to put some money behind it and let it, you know, see the light of day. A lot of fans thought that, uh, you know, this cut was going to be lost forever because a little backstory here. Zack Snyder was the original director for Justice League when it was released in theaters a couple of years back but, uh, fourthly, he had to leave the production halfway through filming because of a tragedy that took place, uh, within his family. And Josh Whedon was brought on to, uh, finish the film and Josh Whedon for all the good that he does, uh, kind of did a disservice to the cut at that time and made a lot of creative changes and, uh, kind of threw his own spin on it. And for better or worse, that was the movie that we, uh, got, but now Zack Snyder has returned with the cut that he says is his original creative vision. And I've got to say, it's quite a doozy it is better in a lot of ways than i have ever expected, and i think he knocked it out of the park what would you say without going into spoilers were kind of your first impressions of the Zack snyder cut
1: um it's a mammoth it's an absolute mammoth of a movie it is four hours and two minutes long and it you you have to pay attention for basically all four hours because uh the changes that are there are monumental changes. The uh, and even the original scenes that are still there have enough uh, change within them to make it a completely transformative experience. It is no longer the old Justice League, which I can cons- I don't even consider it an objectively bad movie. It was just a mediocre film to me, something to get through. Uh, whatever. This you know the DC DCU is uh, condemned anyway, but. Uh, with Zack Sny- the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League, um, there's nothing I can say. But uh, I- I'm I'm ba- I would be back on board if if Zack Snyder would have the universe restored. Um, I mean, the uh, it-, it is a full transformative ex- experience, and I was actually hyped watching it through the uh, the new scenes, the new action scenes. It was uh i'm i'm very glad that uh the snyder cut was actually through its tumultuous history
0: finally released it is a uh, it is something to behold yeah i i completely agree i mean this knocked it out of the park in more ways than i could have ever expected and you know it's a beautiful thing and it's a it's something that we're going to get into as we talk about this movie i mean we haven't even gotten into the gritty it, and we're already gushing over it that's guys an idea of how good this film actually was but uh to start off into it i mean right at the beginning you know a few minutes of the film i mean they start replaying uh for all of you that's all batman vs superman they start replaying uh the final battle between superman batman and wonder woman and doomsday from uh batman versus superman and they kind of do a very kind of cold-hearted open more like you know this is the reality these are the facts Superman, you know, sacrificed himself for the good of the world and, you know, did what he had to do to stop Doomsday. And it starts on a very somber note, but I feel like in juxtaposition in comparison to uh, what we got in the and cut, this is a much more, I feel like, yes, it is a somber opening, but I feel like you have to kind of see where the Justice League, you know, know—they're well, not even the League yet, but where Batman and the other heroes that knew Superman are kind of at and where the world's kind of at feeling the loss of Superman. And I feel like this somber open was much better and and done in a uh, better stylistic choice for the opening of this film rather than what we got in the Whedon cut where, like, it's obviously touched upon that Superman has, you know, died battling doomsday, but it starts on more of, like, A more kind of open-ended area and kind of like a little more jokish overtones and played up for comedic effort rather than this somber tone that we got that kind of lets us know like Superman's gone, shit's fucked up, there's other heroes out there, how do we unite these heroes to get them to help out with what Batman and Wonder Woman know is coming? And... It, it, I just felt like it was a better opening to start it off on a somber tone. So that way, later on, when we do get uplifting moments and kind of moments of brevity, that it actually, it's played the correct way rather than, you know, kind of wiping their ass as they did in the theatrical cut with what happened in Batman versus Superman. Because I know a lot of people complained with that film you know, oh, that ending was depressing. That movie was depressing. And besides the Batman and Superman fight, that movie was too serious which is another thing that played Suicide Squad, is that when that movie was originally coming out, a lot of people were like, oh, this movie's too so serious, there's not enough laughs, and they tested it at certain screenings, and then that's when they came out. We need more jokes in the movie, and I feel like this, just this beginning, five-minute sequence in Justice League, it's like, no, fuck you. Life is life, this is gonna be depressing, and I'm sorry if you don't like this, but these are the breaks. Superman is dead, the world is not better for it, and this is where we are yeah
1: i i agree totally it uh if there's one thing that the whedon cut does a lot especially in it's the original justice league opening it it tries to compete with the mcu for tonal shifts like in the original whedon cut these two kids are videotaping superman and they're like hey superman you know can we can we talk to you for a couple seconds? And Superman being Superman comes down and he does. They ask him about you know his family crest, and he's like, Does it really mean for hope? And he's like, Yes. And he's like, So why is it this? And he's like, Well, it's supposed to be like a winding river. And uh the change from that to Superman being stabbed by doomsday, and then you know, you see him screaming and his screams reverberate throughout the world and those are the things that officially wake up the mother boxes to let Steppenwolf know that it is now okay to come through and and do your thing. It's a, like I said, it's a much better tonal shift. I don't think the DCU should ever compete with Marvel in terms of tone because especially with dealing with Batman Batman's a grim dark hero he's not a light bubbly he don't crack jokes he's Batman he's the fucking Dark Knight and he needs to be a serious grim dark character and not that uh, Wonder Woman and Superman are also grim dark but they're more on the serious side they're more like I said Superman is the whole embodiment of hope American you know the American way justice you know all things good Uh, symbolized in one person one alien being who's trying his best to be human and Wonder Woman uh, much like Superman does her best to be as human as she can while still maintaining her Amazonian ways her you know demigod ways and uh, it was a much better open it sets up the mother boxes and now you know we know why the mother boxes woke up in the first place it's because of Superman's death but uh, you know It was, it was a much better way to open it up because instead of, instead of the, like I said, the Marvel tone, you get an actual, not, not exactly unique, but the DC tone, most of DC tone tone stuff is more grounded, uh, a little less jokey. That's not to say that Marvel doesn't have its own, uh, you know, dark stuff as well. It completely does. Just take a look at Maximum Carnage. But um, the MCU definitely has a way to do stuff. It's filled with a lot of brevity. Uh, It's filled with a lot of funny moments. Serious moments are undercut with funny moments. Uh, We saw that spill over into Star Wars when it came to The Last Jedi, and um, it didn't really fit in The Last Jedi. And Star Wars has had its own ways of doing comedy, comedic stuff, but uh, The Last Jedi went overboard. And that's what I felt the Whedon cut of Justice League was also trying to emulate, was let's put more lighthearted stuff into it so things don't seem as dire, even though the exact point of the beginning of this movie is to let you know that it's fucking dire. Superman has just died, and now Batman and Wonder Woman have to piece together a cobbled alliance of people and other superpowered beings, and they have to do it without Superman, you
0: know? Um, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree in that sense. It's like you you're now coming into a world that now has to understand that your strongest weapon to defend Earth is now out of the picture before the movie even begins. And now you have somebody like Batman who now, in his own way kind of feels responsible and guilt ridden over what happened to Superman because of what they went through in batman versus superman is now left to pick up the pieces trying to wonder he is stronger than me he is the symbol of hope that people look towards where you know batman is always seen regardless of all the good that batman's done batman has always been seen by the media as more of a self-serving vigilante even though for all the good he does and superman has always been seen as that you know the good boy wonder the beacon of hope the person that you know can, you know, do no wrong. That is the symbol to show any other invader or any other thing coming towards us that this is what America is and this is what Earth is. This is Earth's protector. And now Batman's like, shit, I need to pick up the pieces and somehow inspire hope in people and somehow build up my own force in my, you know, with the help of Wonder Woman and, you know, all the other heroes that do eventually get involved to tell people, okay, we may not have Superman, but we have something else in Superman's, you know, stead that's going to, you know, deter anybody from coming to this planet and wanting to, you know, invade. And I feel like just knowing that that position, especially with the opening, the way they shoot it and you have the screams reverberating from Superman and that wakes up the mother boxes and you already can already you're in Batman's shoes you're, you're in Bruce Wayne's shoes like shit, our greatest weapon is gone. How do you refill up... Uh, it's basically like if you had the biggest gun in the world that you know could one-shot anything, but here's the thing. The ammo source for it cannot be duplicated. You run out of ammo. How do you come back from that now? When your enemies now know, it's not there anymore. Oh, yeah. And that's especially coming off the threat of Doomsday.
1: And Doomsday is bad enough. Doomsday already is a Superman killer and... He wasn't even the biggest baddie on the block, and, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure Steppenwolf could come in and smack Doomsday Doomsday around a little bit as well. well or maybe not, you know, Doomsday is also Kryptonian, he's also the former, uh, he has the former body of General Zod from Man of Steel. And uh, it's, they're put already into a desperate position because they they already know something's coming. Uh, right after, right, right off the bat after Doomsday uh, and maybe that was maybe that's one of the criticisms I have for the DCU is that they go into threats a little bit too fast uh, with Man of Steel you had General Zod and the rest of his Kryptonian squad and they were just giving Superman fits and uh, right after that you have Doomsday and he's absolute world killer you need Superman to take him down uh, they did the whole thing with Batman vs Superman, the whole combining of three different uh, graphic novels into one movie. And uh, if I'm being honest, it's probably the one movie I, I genuinely hated, Batman vs Superman, because I actually liked Man of Steel. Um, but uh, Batman vs Superman was a bad choice. It was a. It could have been so much better if they had chosen the more Dark Knight Returns formula to move on to make it an actual batman film instead of a a, hey this is how we're going to introduce batman by you know it's an older batman you already know and it's it's like that could have been that could have served a much better purpose if we were getting reintroduced to bruce wayne coming back into the batman uh, persona being reintroduced to his old ways as we see in the in the Dark Knight, both the uh, graphic novel and the fantastic animated part one, part two movies. Um, and, uh, yeah. It, it was, a uh, it, It's... It, it kicks the movie off and I think it does a much better job than the original Whedon Cut. Uh, you know the cards are on the table, and, uh... It, it... Unlike the Whedon Cut, the Whedon Cut's only two hours long. Like, the actual Snyder Cut is an extra two hours, so there's a lot more explaining going on here. There's a lot, you, there's a lot more backstory going on. A lot more character arcs are being filled out, to whereas the original Justice League was a sloppy, fast-paced, kind of like, we gotta go, 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 almost like Rise of Skywalker levels of speed going through the movie's uh, plot, to whereas uh, the Snyder Cut it's slower, more methodical. Uh, we get a little bit of time uh, a lot of time actually with you know all of our different characters uh, Cyborg gets such a big bump um, we see more from uh, Arthur Curry Aquaman we, uh, we get to see uh, Vulko all of the characters that were introduced in their own movies with the exception of Cyborg um, we get to see them in Justice League so it makes going into their, almost like a reverse mcu it makes going into their respective movies a little bit easier knowing that oh hey here's volco you know there's oh hey here's mira she's she's doing things they're all in atlantis uh, that's that's pretty cool you
0: know yeah and i mean that that's the thing i mean the studios didn't have faith in this original cut. And I mean, it's unfortunate that, you know, what happened to Zack Snyder happened within his family. And, you know, he couldn't finish filming at the time. But, you know, there was rumors at the time that regardless of even if had and, you know, kept this cut intact for most of what it is, you know, besides the extra stuff that they filmed the past year and a half to get this cut to be completed, even if they had kept a lot of those deleted scenes in and continued with the same thematic element, you know, I feel at the time that whether DC you know, DC wants to admit it or not, they were not behind this cut, and I felt that they felt it was a little too serious and too on the nose, and it's like, I understand that, but these are the type of risks, in my opinion at least, that you need to take, especially when you're going into this with the mindset that, yeah, we're, it's not that they want to just make movies about their heroes. Regardless of what DC ever says, and regardless of how they try to play it off to people with their social media posts, and whatever kind of, you know, bullshit grab words that they want to, you know, attention-grabbing words that they want to get people with, the ghost of Marvel is always on their fucking mind, and... It's always on their mind. They can't help themselves. And this is why we ended up with the original Justice League cut the way it is. This is why we ended up with Batman versus Superman. The way that ended up is because... Don't get me wrong. Marvel is probably... At the top of the game when it comes to, you know, obviously cinematic universes. And everyone's Marvel did their cinematic universe. Every other franchise, known the man, wanted to jump on the bandwagon and do a cinematic universe and do an interconnected universe with different movies. But a lot of people don't understand yeah, Marvel's a juggernaut. Their film franchise is a juggernaut. Disney is sitting on tons of cash. But it took careful, methodical planning to get there. There were countless solo movies countless things that people didn't like you saw in an end credit scene that probably didn't fucking even matter until seven years later when finally that all got wrapped up i mean we saw thanos in the first avengers movie and that first appearance did not officially pay off until we got to infinity war which was years later like that's the type of methodical planning i'm talking about like you have one like when that first iron man movie came out and was a blockbuster and they started thinking okay we're gonna have this all we got was end credit scenes here and there in a couple of movies and the avengers didn't finally pay off with that whole thing until six years after iron man one had come out (laughs) and it's like this is the type of methodical planning that made marvel's cinematic universe what it is and Dis and Disney, you know, did right and Marvel did right, and Josh Whedon and all and Kevin Feige over there, they all did the right thing by methodically planning like that. But DC saw the money that these properties were making, were like, We wanna do the same, but except they decided to let's rush everything instead of giving you know, we're gonna recast Batman. We have Ben Affleck as Batman. Let's give him his own movie. No. We don't have time. Marvel's already ahead of us. Let's put him in the next Superman sequel movie. Let's force Batman in. Let's put Wonder Woman in there as well. And then let's put Doomsday in there. Let's have all these things mash up, and then we're going to go right into Justice League after that. I mean, it's even insanity when you think about this, just talking about Batman versus Superman before we get back to Justice League. Gal Gadot, Gal Gadot was filming her scenes as Wonder Woman, Mind you, if we're going in the canon, Batman vs Superman takes place years after Wonder Woman 1984 and the original Wonder Woman film. She was playing her character as somebody who had already went through the original Wonder Woman film. Meanwhile, they hadn't even finished writing the script. For the Wonder Woman movie. This is how much they were rushing while Gal Gadot was filming Batman vs. Superman. And a lot of people don't notice her first appearance as Wonder Woman on the big screen was not in the Wonder Woman movie, it was in Batman vs Superman. She was playing the character for the first time in that movie. It's truth. Yeah, and she and she has even said that it was kind of confusing because they were giving her thematic direction for things that weren't even on paper yet. And, it, and some of the things she even does in that movie ended up being completely different than how Diana wound up being in her own movies and further along in mm-hmm. Justice League. But going forward to Justice League, you know, you can even see here that they jumped the gun because they saw what Avengers was now doing with the Infinity War, and they're like, "All right, we're going to bring in the Mother Boxes, we're going to bring in Dark Side, and for everyone, you know, for lack of a better way, you know, you can compare your Dark Side to Thanos, you can compare the Mother Boxes to the to the Infinity Stones, you know, a couple of MacGuffins that are spread out across the world that need to be brought together for world domination." But while i will say the Weeden cut comes off like a cliff notes version this this finally uh finalized snyder cut i should say comes off in the best way possible that it, it it does dive deeper in where steppenwolf kind of came off as a kind of a pansy ass villain you know for lack of better words in the weed cut and this one we actually get time to know him you find out early on in this film that he's like originally in the first in the weed cut you see steppenwolf and he just seems like some bloodthirsty, run-of-the-mill asshole that just wants to dominate so, uh, uh, dominate a planet and kind of, you know, flex his nuts to, uh, to, to Darkseid. Whereas in this, you find out, no, 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 that's not the case. He's actually doing this because he wants a seat back at Darkseid's table. Something happened in the past where he dark Darkseid, and the only way to get back under Darkseid's good graces is to complete this mission without failure. And... I think it's amazing that they gave just that little snippet right there, that little little background information that we didn't get in the weeding cut, that we now get in the cider cut, just that little snippet right there, already makes Steppenwolf Wolf ten times better than he was because now it gives him motive. And it's not just run-of-the-mill motive. It actually gives us something to kind of, you know, to kind of like look at him and be like, okay, I, I kind of get it now. Like he knows Dark Side has a good chance of taking over the world. He wants to be on what people would say the right side of history he has to align himself with the power but he's betrayed dark side before dark side's uneasy so now this this whole mission is a test for him for dark side to now have believe that his loyalty lies with dark side and i think just that little change right there gave him an extra layer that turned him from you know just you know Piece of shit villain that could be thrown away, you know, just any run of the mill movie. And it gave him that extra three dimensional layer that he was missing. And I feel like the time you get to spe- uh, spend with Steppenwolf, and that's not even talking about just even his redesign that makes him look better in this film, but the time you get to spend with Steppenwolf, the introspective moments, the little conversations between him and Darkseid, where you get to see how Darkseid thinks of him and how like down on his luck Steppenwolf is. And even though he is a conqueror, and he is the villain of this film you really see that this is nothing more for him than, you know, a ploy to gain favor. And I thought that was a really big difference that made this cut also better was actually giving the villain motive. 100% not only uh like you said
1: not only does steppenwolf have an actual reason this time to go around doing the things he does uh and this was just me but he he like you kind of feel bad for him a little bit because he wants to be back where he belongs he wants to be back on his home world with his people with dark side he wants to please dark side so badly and conquer earth and show show him that hey look I I know I've fucked up in the past, but this is how I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make everything right. I'm going to get all these mother boxes and you'll see, you know, I'll I'll come back strong and I'll make you proud. Uh, On top of that, uh, Dark Side, not Dark Side, Steppenwolf's redesign looks so much better. He looks more alien in this movie. He he looks more intimidating, more threatening, more menacing. In the original Justice League, he just ends up kind of looking goofy, like a goofy ass humanoid who's wearing uh, a horn helmet. His face is kind of like orangey and shit, and he he just comes off as some cookie, like you said, some cookie cutter villain who's just here to to look strong and just be the punching bag for the uh, the heroes to do their thing with uh whereas in the zack snyder cut steppenwolf is again much more threatening much more dangerous his action scenes are vastly improved the scene with him on themiscara is so much cooler so much better they show he's kicking ass out in themiscara like especially when he's in the temple and you see all the amazonians ganging up on him they're like they're dog piling up on him it's it's insane and he's just knocking them off throwing them off pulling them off and they actually instead of just you know sealing the temple they actually sent it off the edge of the cliff into the water they sealed it and then destroyed it and sent it uh making the amazonian sacrifice uh hit a lot harder it was it was pretty I was like, wow, that is much different. That, like, I can understand why, you know, uh, Queen Hippolyt- Hippolytra is feeling a lot worse about it since she doomed several, several dozen of her own women to death, to drowning, which is a horrible way to die. And uh, she goes to look down off the cliff and, uh, you know, a couple, couple seconds go by. She's like, uh, oh, you know, at least we did that. Maybe maybe I've ended the threat, you know, here and early on. Nope. Fucking parademons and Steppenwolf come flying out of the water, and they just fly right over her. She's like, "Ah, oh, shit!" So she goes to her horses. She's like, hey, "Take the mother box, protect it with your life." And uh, that's when the chase on the horses begins. Uh, Steppenwolf is jumping over them. He's over here, you know, like shoulder tackling horses. He's cutting Amazonians in half. Uh, and thanks to this uh, Snyder Cut R rating, there is quite a bit of blood in this movie. Uh, it's not anything so super gory, but there are moments where you see Steppenwolf absolutely cut people in half, cut hands, you know, hands are cut off, uh, heads are cut off. It is, it's, it doesn't excess, it doesn't exceed in violence, but uh, I think it holds. It holds just the right amount. It is uh, it's, a, it's it was a nice touch. The R rating was definitely a nice touch for me. But uh he, yeah, he's chasing the horses and there's this one awesome moment where the uh, he he lands all around these horses and all the uh, all the uh, Amazonian warriors are surrounding him and they're trying to tie him down. Kind of like he's a big fucking dinosaur. Almost like it's out of Jurassic Park, and he straight takes, he straight takes, you know, all the ropes, and he's swinging all of the Amazonians with their horses in tow around, and he's slamming them one into another. It's, it was, the the action scenes in this movie are so much better than the Whedon cut, uh, and the Whedon cut, the Whedon cut action was, it was alright. I mean, it, it didn't really, I, I didn't think it was anything to, you know, you know, wax wax off and fucking. Write home about, but uh, the Snyder cut, and because it's Zack Snyder, and Zack Snyder does action very well, in my opinion. So his cut of the movie definitely flourishes um, much better, uh, and that's that's not even to say the uh, before that the one the scene with Wonder Woman. Uh, she is let off the leash. Uh, she is she's unleashed and just she's over here punching dudes into walls. Just absolutely shattering chests, ribs are gone. Uh, she's so much more powerful. She's so much, she's so much cooler in the Zack Snyder cut than she was in the Whedon cut. The Whedon cut was almost, you know, uh, something more akin to the Patty Jenkins vision, where yes, she's powerful, but she's not overboard. Whereas Zack Snyder's like, nah, we're gonna have her kick ass, and it's gonna be fucking awesome. And she's like, you know, using all of her high speed. She's like blocking all the bullets, you know, She and she just zooms over to where all the people are being held hostage. And you see her just, you know, doing like these poses and like still maintaining a high speed while kicking every motherfucker's ass in this room. Uh, the action is much improved uh, and the more we talk about this movie, the, the more we get on to the later parts of the movie. It's going to be reflected, and you're, you're probably just going to hear us bounce off the walls about this.
0: Oh, yeah. Like, you know, to go circle back to your point you just made about, you know, the Wonder Woman scene where she's saving everybody from, you know, uh, the scene where the, the the terrorists are over there trying to let off a bomb. She's saving everyone, and I got to say, it's not only that she's powerful, and I will say this all the time, out of all, all the heroes that DC has introduced so far, their live action fucking wonder woman's theme goes hard that shit bumps when that comes on and she's taking everybody out (laughs) that that wonder woman theme that that might be honestly my favorite like composition or theme song that that the dceu has you know not dceu but the dc live action universe has actually come out with for hero. like when that song comes on you, you, you right away want to tell the villain, all right, you done fucked up. That's, that song comes on, you're done. I'm sorry, you fucked up. And it, it, it that is a beautiful moment. I mean, the way she deflects all the bullets and like they just made her look badass. And, and I always can respect the film that can make anything look badass, whether it's a woman, the male, whoever it is, without knocking you over the head with it. It's like, you can tell this woman is a goddess. She's an Amazonian. She is, you know she is deserving of everything that precedes her as far as her reputation and in just that one scene whether you had watched wonder woman or you didn't watch wonder woman or you saw batman versus superman or you didn't you knew that wonder woman wasn't fucking around once you saw this scene but to uh go back to the other point you're talking about that whole you know when steppenwolf goes to retrieve the first mother box from uh I love that whole section. That whole thing was good. And I love the little changes that they made from Whedon's cut and the little extra little bits and pieces. They added a brutality just to make it hit a little bit harder and little changes of, you know, kind of the stakes of the situation that they changed up. I liked all that. But the one scene that really got me early on in the movie was kind of the retooling. Of when Wonder Woman is discussing with Bruce finally when they realize they have a problem when she's discussing with Bruce kind of the history of the mother boxes and the original battle that took place when Darkseid first came to Earth to try to conquer everything and try to synchronize the boxes that whole entire battle scene fucked me up that fucked me up because I was not expecting to see actually Darkseid you know fuck shit up like come out and fuck shit up and like in that battle and not only that but throughout that battle we get to see the amazonians we get to see the atlanteans we get to see you know zeus you know and all the kind of like the the ancient greek gods get in on the battle we get an actual decent look at a fucking green lantern a green lantern finally yeah. We actually see, and God, the how brutal Dark Side is just beating the shit out of people. And then you see Dark Side catch hands, catch, catches a good old axe to the shoulder. And I mean, even the scene me and you were gushing about when we first saw it, when uh, Dark Side kills that Green Lantern in the fight, and the ring comes off. And God, how close Dark Side was to catching the, the the ring before it went off. Oh Dude. my God, <laughs> that part when
1: when. They're all going to fucking face him. First off, I was like, "Oh man, this is this is so much better than the original, man." This this actually seems like it has stakes on the line. Like we're almost getting uh, a, a previous movie to fucking see all this shit that just happened. And uh, you see the Green Lantern. He shows up, and he's not just like in the original Whedon cut. He's like, we even had warriors from outer space show up. No, they they you know they center in on him, and they have him do you know like this cool ass fucking. You know, he, he goes towards the screen, he, he comes at you, and you just see Darkseid absolutely humiliate and outplay this guy. He cuts his hand off, and uh, he, you know, he stabs him through the chest, and then, dude, you see the fucking ring come up, and I was like, yo, and Darkseid makes a play for it, and I was like, oh no, don't let him do that, and he just gets an arrow right to the shoulder, and I was like, whoo-hoo, oh, these people came a little bit too close to Annihilation. They they didn't need Dark Side and a lantern and him having a lantern ring on top of it. It's not good for anybody. Uh, and you see, Bol- you know, the Greek gods coming. They ha- they have Ares coming at him, which I-, I liked how he was he was portrayed in this film. You know, he recognized that Dark Side was a threat instead of being like the kind of hypocritical stupid bastard he was in the first Wonder Woman film, which. I, I didn't like Ares in that film but in in the snyder cut you know you actually see him teaming up with zeus and all the, the tribes of man and the atlanteans and the amazonians and you see him bring his axe down into dark side and dark it's like ah, oh, god and uh like they're they're pulling him away you know as a retreat uh dark side that is and uh you know he's just like oh god no uh yeah i can't leave uh i can't leave all uh, all this be- behind you know my prize it was uh it was so cool. It was so much better of a explanation than we got. Than the whole, hey, Steppenwolf tried once and failed, so he's back. No, it, this time it was actually Dark Side. This time, like you know, it, it was it was written so much better. It it, it was its own little slice of uh, more information, and uh, it's one of those things that uh, contextually, the Justice League movie needed. The, like you have to build dark side up somehow and in that they do it twice the first time is the retelling of the uh you know the great battle uh the second time comes a little bit down the uh, the line but yeah that that first time was uh was fantastic I seeing that I was like yo he's about to get the ring oh my god and then they stop him I was like this is so much
0: better. <laughs> Yeah, it was much better. And I mean, let's you know, let's talk about somebody else that really, you know, got really great treatment from this, especially in the early parts of the film, you know, then that's um, that's good old uh, cyborg, you know, you know, Victor Stone, he ends up, you know, kind of, you know, getting more of a front seat here, especially being the one character that did not have, you know, any type of movie presence along with flash you know being one of those characters that did not have a a movie presence but i mean the flash had his in suicide squad i will say but it was so brief that you didn't really get a sense of the character but cyborg had nothing 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 so for him to actually get screen time in this film but not just screen time where like okay he's working with the crew but we actually get to see him alone kind of brooding and kind of being introspective on the fact that My dad brought me back to life. My dad did what he thought was right, bringing me back to life and harnessing a mother box's power to bring me back and to create me into this machine and probably the most high powered CPU that could possibly ever walk the earth. Realizing that you now have a gift that you didn't ask for and that you didn't want, but also resenting your father at the same time because yes, you are alive but it's not the life you want to live and it, it and it's a great dichotomy getting to go deep into that personality of victor where he's basically in that place of like i don't give a shit if i have all these gifts i don't give a shit about the fact that i'm alive i know why my father did it but i can't come to the to grips with the fact that i'm here but i'm not who i was before i left and i thought that was a great layer to add on to cyborg especially throughout his arc when he finally does join the justice league and you know takes up finally the recruitment works on him and you start to understand okay it's not that he's just being a brooding asshole and that he just hates the world because he is in the predicament that he's in and unfortunately his body is now this machine but really what he's looking for is a place to now belong and he finds that along with the other heroes it's like yeah, we may not all look the same. Yes, we all have powers and yes, we have different parts that we play in society. But at the end of the day, we all have a place among each other. And I thought that was kind of a great thing to play in for Victor's arc that they actually went deeper into his arc rather than just being like, "Okay, it's Cyborg, he's brooding. He's pissed. He's kind of mad at his mad at his dad." But, you know, that the the Weeden cut did that we never got further into than that.
1: Oh yeah, the the Weeden cut doesn't do Uh, anything besides give him the minute and a half of it's like hey I don't like being cyborg I'm mad that you you know brought me back to life whereas the Snyder Cut we go into his memories you find out that he's uh, he suffers from survivor's guilt that his mother died in the car crash and he almost did but you know his father brings him back with the help of the mother box uh, and that he's very messed up uh, very much wanting to trade places with his mother, uh, he he doesn't like being, you know, the the amalgamation of man and machine. It's it's very much a it's very much an expanded arc. It does cyborg justice. Uh, you get to see you get to see him a lot more go through his character arcs, especially the part where. Uh, He listens to the tape recorder, and his father's telling him, look, this is what you can do. You have the power of the entire cyberspace at your fingertips, and at your will, you can bend it. At your will, you can break it. You can do whatever you want. You have control of every single... Uh, you know, weapon of mass you know, of human mass destruction, and, and I thought that scene was great when he looks up and he sees all of the nuclear missiles above him, and he just you know moves them away with you know the swipe of his hand. He uh, he goes to that bank and he sees you know the woman struggling to you know feed her child, to make do to to uh, pay her rent and all that stuff, and you see him just you know make all the racks of cash for her, and uh, then her reaction at going to see. Uh, going to the ATM and seeing that she had won, you know, the uh, Gotham Bank lottery or something, which, if anything, I kind of felt that scene was a little bit awkward because Cyborg was a little too close to those people and they didn't notice, she didn't notice that like a giant, you know, six and a half foot tall uh, guy with a glowing eyeball was just hanging out there looking at them, you know, seeing them win the lottery. But... It still works, you know. Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean that little flaw there got rectified like two seconds later when that couple sees him on the street and they're like, "Who the fuck yes. is this guy?" And he puts the hoodie yes. on right away,
1: and he's he's automatically like, ugh, yeah." It's like he just kind of looks at them and he's like, "Oh yeah, that's right. I'm kind of weird looking." So he throws the hood back on, and uh, it's it it is much. It's a much better experience than what we got with the Whedon cut. Uh, like like you said. Cyborg in the Whedon cut. Cyborg doesn't come into his own until he's like finally joins the team, and he's like, "All right, guys, I'm ready to do the stuff now." Here in the Snyder cut, we see him building up to it. We see him gaining the confidence. We see him gaining the acceptance of his new life. Now, Uh, we see it's just an absolute evolution, and it's it's. It's one of those things, man. It's one of those things that this movie definitely needed. Um, ideally, you would have wanted a Cyborg Origin movie, something of that kind. But uh, because of how the because of how the studio has handled this franchise of the cinematic universe, we never got it. <sighs> Several characters, you know, they needed the backstories. They needed the foundation to build the. You know to build the castle upon and that wasn't there so they just kind of like threw together sticks and hey let's make a stilt house instead in you know the middle of the fucking ocean uh and zach snyder's cut alleviates it doesn't it doesn't get rid of it completely it alleviates that need and it's it, the snyder cut is better all you know all for it you know
0: yeah and i mean that's that's the thing i liked is that everybody had their reason for joining the justice league and like you obviously get to walk through each individual character's arc and kind of understand where they are at this certain time in their life and in their respective careers as crime fighters and as heroes and whether they love the responsibility whether they don't accept the responsibility or they don't even understand what the responsibility really is yet but they all kind of get to play through their arcs and kind of go through and build themselves up that ladder until reaching that ultimate goal which you know that brings me to another character the flash the flash you know he had his moments in the whedon cut but they were mostly it was just and don't get me wrong, I understand this version of Barry Allen, he's played up for laughs, you know, he's more of a comedic relief, he's kind of like the Spider-Man of this version of the Justice League, he's like, he's their Spider-Man equivalent for the Avengers. And, you know, he comes into his own as well, because we actually get a nice, long, drawn-out scene with him, kind of seeing what his life is as he adapts to kind of using the speed force and kind of understanding what this power is, and I mean, we get a great scene with him, which is also hilarious, with him, you know... Going to apply for 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 a job, I think it's it's either at a pet store or a veterinarian place he's applying for a job at, and there happens to be you know a girl that he sees that he thinks is cute. She's coming out of the you know she's coming out of a out of that same place, and she goes to get in her car, and then there's of course a guy you know just scuffing down a burger, driving a fucking tractor trailer. And he drops the burger on the floor, and he's going to reach for it. And, you know, when you go look down driving straight, it's probably not the thing you want to be doing. And he almost, you know, he's about to, well, I can't even say almost. He's about to run into this girl's car, and he does make impact. Barry notices what's going on out of the corner of his eye as he's interviewing for this vet job. And he just... Uses the for the, the speed force, and it's amazing watching just sneak his bird off his feet as he pivots in the direction of where he's trying to get to, and just the slow motion of how everything's in such slow motion for him, everything around him. But he's going in normal time, and you watch him take the hot dog out of the, the hot dog vendor's cart that has flipped over. You watch him save the girl, and then before they could even blink, the girl's saved, everybody's saved. He's sitting down around all the puppies now, with saying, Oh, look just in case of emergency like this I always bring a uh, a meat snack with me to help the anxiety of the puppies just in case of emergency you never know what could happen do I start on Monday like that was fucking great that's a great way to introduce the Flash because literally in that 10 minute scene you got it down he's young he has no idea what the extent of his powers really are, but he's having fun with it. He cares about other people, but he's still a college student struggling to make ends meet. Like, it hit boom, 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 boom. It hit all the points, and it didn't have to beat you over the head with it.
1: Absolutely. Um, if there was one thing I was hoping he would do, because they they show, this the Snyder Cut shows that the Flash has a lot more of a grasp on his power than the Whedon Cut does. So when he went to go through the door i was kind of hoping that he would like completely phase through it but he doesn't if anything like he touches the glass and the glass kind of like vibrates a little bit and then so you think he's going to phase through it and but no it, it kind of just goes outward in this bubble and it finally breaks and then he goes through the door uh and then uh, you see him go up to the uh the car and the explosion as it's happening and uh and he goes up to Iris West which that is I'm, I'm guessing that has to be Iris West. And uh, he, he's looking at her. He's like, oh, man, this, you know, this girl's really pretty. You know, he's moving her hair uh, out of her face and stuff, getting ready to, to move her. He grabs the hot dog. Like, and it, it's such a good fucking sequence because he looks at the hot dog and then he actually smiles and he grabs it and he puts it in his pocket. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And... and and then he, you know, he, he takes Iris, you know, puts her on the ground. All the stuff, you know, blows up. All, you know, the thing happens. And then before you know it, he's gone. And I'm like, oh man, where did he go? Did he just run away? No, he's in the dog pen with the dogs. He's like, oh no, is everyone okay? Oh man, in times like this, I love to have a healthy meat snack to keep everyone calm. It's such a great sequence. It is much better than the introduction we got in the Whedon cut, where he's just going to. The person where his father is and being like hey dad i can do this you know that, that, that blah, blah, which we even get still in this in the snyder cut it's just down the line it's just after we're introduced to you know formally introduced to barry allen it is again much better much
0: better yeah and i mean like we haven't even touched upon you know bruce wayne's recruiting efforts when he meets you know aquaman or whatever he's looking for arthur curry and you know to a lesser extent when he meets the flash and finally recruits the flash as well. And he goes to Barry Allen's kind of little hideout because most like with the exception of maybe one or two dialogue changes for all intents and purposes and some soundtrack differences, those kind of play out the same. So I'm not going to go crazy over those, because those kind of play out the same as far as how those scenes kind of where the, you know, where we get from point A to point B, they kind of play out the same, just little contextual differences here and there. But, um, finally when they do you know kind of bring the team together and we finally have wonder woman we have the flash we have cyborg finally you know deciding to help out and, you know get over a little bit of the uh, issues that he's having and we have aquaman joining in we we get that same kind of fight that we got at the abandoned uh facility under the gotham harbor which is you know now that we've gotten to that point of mind you, when we finally get to this point just to show you the difference in how uh, Snyder's Cut decided to build in comparison to Weedon's Cut. We got that scene, I want to say, maybe about what do you, you want to guess me? Maybe 35 minutes into Weedon's Cut? Yeah, something around something there. there. Maybe 35 minutes. Yeah. 35, 40 minutes, let's say, just to be safe somewhere around that. We got this when we got that scene of everybody being together going to the Gotham Harbor. And in Snyder's Cut, we're two hours in. We are <laughs> two hours in the movie. And this is the first time that all the heroes are on screen together, finally going to do something together. And that just shows you the amount of attention to detail and just the amount of care given to methodically planning. How are we going to get these heroes together? And that's not even, you know, discussing the fact that they haven't even touched on Superman again. Besides his death since the intro, we've just been concentrating on everybody else. And I think it's also amazing that just getting to this point, you're like, okay, Justice League, they're starting to unite, they're starting to do things. And it's like, we're not even at that point yet. Yes, they're physically together, but they are not a united front yet. They still are kind of on the edge. They don't really trust each other yet. They still don't really understand what Cyborg's motives are for joining the group because yes he does join the group but it was diana that got to talk to him bruce wayne did not so everyone is kind of on the fence while they trust bruce wayne they don't really understand what cyborg's deal is and what was the you know the impetus for him to join after his conversation with diana which when diana decides to try to recruit him and try to make him understand that she too is a loner And she, too, feels out of place in this world and has lost people dear to her, but she has had to work her way slowly back into society and understand that I do have a responsibility to protect this world, regardless if at times I don't feel necessarily a part of it. And kind of that's kind of the moment that kind of makes Cyborg kind of think, one of the moments where he's like, you know, I feel the same way, too. But... Unlike you, I'm not an Amazonian goddess that can walk out of a supermodel video. I'm a goddamn machine that people scream if they see me. So it's kind of like that that dichotomy, a little bit of a difference. And, you know, I think it's great that by the time we get to this part in the film, you feel like you're at the halfway point. It's like, no, brother, we got two more hours to go. And it just it's just a very different way of storytelling. And I thought it was just great to see how it built up to this. And this is only the halfway point, because already I was sold at this point. And I will say for people that are, I guess, casual comic fans that really like their, their movies to kind of play it fast and tight, you know, with the narrative, this is a very much a slow burn. I say it's worth your time to sit through, but I can understand of a lot of people who are casual, you know, comic fans that just want to see their actions, want to see the heroes, they want to get in and get out or don't necessarily, you know, have the time to, you know, kind of uh, dedicate this you know sitting through a four hour film not saying it's a short film you know this probably won't be their jam but for me for this to be at the two hour point and this is finally where we get to justice league stuff i thought this was a a great you know kind of a postmark you know tentpole part for the movie for us to be at especially two hours in
1: yeah um and this is this is one of the benefits when it comes to streaming movies at home is that uh in the movie theaters, you definitely would have had to take an intermission uh, or at the very, or you know, at the very most, this would have had to the Snyder Cut would have had to be split into two different movies and it had a legit to be continued at wherever the heck Snyder would have left it off at. And then, you know, maybe like a month later, hey, part two is here. But uh, because we're at home, because uh, HBO Max was so gracious to have the Snyder Cut on it, you know, you could actually look at the uh look at the track bar and it has little po- little points in the track bar for your you know almost like video game checkpoints if you will because uh this the film is split up into six parts and an epilogue and each of those parts has its own little point on the track bar letting you know where exactly where you are in the movie so uh, uh what i did uh what jay and i did is Basically, right after the fourth uh, part completed, right at the intro to the fifth part, we stopped. Uh, I, um, he he had watched it a day before I did. I watched it pretty much all day yesterday, and uh, I like uh, I watched two and I think it was like two minutes, uh, not two minutes, two hours and fifteen minutes, and then it hit part five, and I was like, all right, let me let me take an intermission. You know, let me let me walk around, let me get up and stretch, let me watch the rest of the Ranger game, let me do whatever I got to do, and I'll put the PS4 in rest mode so it can cool down from having being, been on all fucking day. And uh, later on that night, we had both found out that, uh, you know, we were basically in the same spot. So we were like, fuck it, you want to watch the rest of this thing together? And we synced up times, and we let it rip, and we experienced the glory of the second half of this movie in its entire uh in all of its uh you know like i just said glory together
0: and and, and that's what it is because it's like you are you you get into the first half of the movie and yes like i said it could be a slow burn for a lot you know i you know the the basic you know thing that makes streaming movies at home fun is because you can get your any snacks you want you can get up you can pause it you can stop it, you can do whatever the hell you want at your pace, there's nobody there that's saying, hey, you bought a ticket for this, you know, the Showtime, you're using the gun in your head, you better finish this shit. So, you know, that is always going to be the advantage that streaming will have. But getting into the second half of the movie, so now we're at the Gotham Harbor. We have the Justice League, you know, going to the Gotham Harbor to deal with with Steppenwolf's army basically after they received intel from uh, James Gordon which that's a little cute scene with everybody having camaraderie and you know kind of flash dushing out about Gordon calling Batman with the bat signal and telling Batman hey he's calling that's your signal isn't it and like kind of you know screwing with Batman and Batman trying to be like oh my god I got a mark on my hands over here (laughs) and you know, they, you know, we get to the Gotham Barber, we get to this nice little fight with demon we get to see Batman use some of his gadgetry, we get to see the team work together and try to fend off, you know, you know, fend off Steppenwolf, and it's a good scene, but you can tell that the camaraderie is not there yet, they are working together, but as I alluded to earlier, The trust hasn't been built 100% yet for them to work all together. There's some gaffes here, Flash not really knowing how he fits into it yet because he has the powers to use his speed, but he's not really the hand-to-hand fighter that the other characters are. Cyborg is still learning how his techniques work, Batman realizing, okay, these are otherworldly beings that we're fighting. I'm probably not going to be in my element trying to fight these things hand to hand so I need more gadgets whereas Aquaman and Wonder Woman can kind of go toe to toe with anything that's thrown at them and it's just, you know, you're kind of watching them go through the paces in real time and the growing pains but since we have all that other stuff and their characters built up throughout the first two hours you're like, I'm in for this ride I'm in to watch them kind of grow together as a team whereas in the and cut we get here so quick you're like, no wonder you fucking guys don't know how to work together and it's not working out. Y- y- you've been together for, you know, you all just jumped together and decided on a whim, hey, we hate, we hate mother boxes, let's team up.
1: Yeah, you, you, it's like you guys have known each other for a fucking cup of coffee in the Weeden cut, and they're already out here. All right, let's take the fight to Steppenwolf and uh, get our asses handed to us immensely. Whereas in the Snyder cut, you know, we we get the build up. We get the, uh, the meet and greets. We get the conversations that go along the way, and, and when they're ready to make their move against Steppenwolf, they you know they do so uh, with Batman taking the lead. He's you know obviously the world's greatest detective. He's gonna have the most to do with it. It uh, uh, and again, uh, as an action scene, there's much better action. There's a there's this little moment where Wonder Woman goes charging in and she stabs a parademon to the wall and Steppenwolf is talking to her looking at her and then you see him look at his axe and then he looks back and then he looks at the axe again like he's like I'm, I'm going to go for that. I, I don't know if she knows. Should I go for that? I'm going to go for it. And he goes for it. And, and absolutely all hell breaks loose. You get this cool moment where, like, one of the parademons is shooting at the Flash. And he's just, like, instant transmissioning from one side to the other. You know, he's like, oh, maybe I should take care of this guy. And he, like, pushes him. And, you know, he uses the power of his speed to, like, make the, you know, the parademon just fly through the fucking wall. And uh, you even see Batman, who uh, I, I was very much happy to see that in this version batman isn't kind of the whiny bitch he was in the whedon cut in the whedon cut he was very guilty about what he had done he was like oh man i i, I you know i i killed superman and, and now everything's falling down to me you know this is a whole bunch of stress you know I, I gotta do something whereas in the Zack snyder cut he was like i made a mistake and now i'm going to undo it you know he's like i'm, I'm gonna I'm going to pull, I'm going to pull these reins up. I'm going to take the responsibility and I'm going to be resolute in only that way that, you know, if you're a Batman fan, you know, Batman is, you know, when he fucks up, he, he, he takes it like a man and he absolutely is like, I'm going to undo what I did. And he does that. And like all of the guilt tripping and the complaining it's gone in this movie. You have a much more uh, focused and determined Batman and he's ready to just you know work together you know he takes it to a couple of parademons which you know considering they're you know metahuman not even metahuman they're interdimensional beings you know they're, they're gonna have a little bit of strength on batman so he does the best he can with what he's got and that's all you can ask from from batman um the part where cyborg uh comes in and he he goes into the uh, the night crawler and like he's using it to crawl up the wall and uh, well, actually, first Batman does it. First, he gets in the Nightcrawler and he starts shooting all the Parademons. And uh, you see Steppenwolf; uh, he's he's on the wall uh, from where he had uh, punched Wonder Woman. And he goes down and he starts smacking the Nightcrawler. And then, uh, like it starts blowing up because you know that thing can't kind of take pun. That thing t- uh, can't take the punishment uh, it can from Steppenwolf for long. So you know, eventually, you know Bruce gets out. He he goes to the top. He's doing whatever. Uh, and, and eventually, <clears throat> Cyborg takes control of it. He uh, he launches all those missiles at Steppenwolf when, when he when they push him down into the tunnel. And uh, it, it was way cooler because um, Steppenwolf kind of just like, axes one missile away, and then he catches the second one. And they uh, they had done this earlier too, where in the Whedon cut when he was fighting the Amazonians, he kind of like smacked the arrow away from Queen Hippolyta. And in the Snyder cut, he actually catches the arrow, which is, it's it's cooler. It's way fucking cooler. So he catches the missile, and then you know he's looking at, it and he's like, mmm, primitive Earth people weapons, and he aims it at the wall, and just like he does in the original, you know, he lets the missile hit the uh, the wall, and you know they flash, flashes like, wait, what are we under right now? And, you know, Batman delivers the same line, you know, we're under uh, Gotham Harbor, so all the fucking water starts pouring in. Uh, The cool part here is that as the water is pouring in, in the original Whedon cut, you just see Aquaman just kind of float in, swim in, and he, like, gets out of the water immediately. And he does the, you know, you shall not pass to all the fucking water. Whereas in the Snyder cut, he stays, like, he swims in, but he stays in the water for a second. And not, like, in the water in the back. Like, he's staying in the water that's pouring out of the wall which i was like yeah, that's that's pretty cool man it, like this is actively moving water and he's still able to like stay there perfectly still and you know wonder woman is noticing him in the water as all this happens and i don't know why in the Ween cut and in the even in the snyder cut that wonder woman just kind of stands there for a while while cyborg is trying to get the nightcrawler to move uh and you know batman is helping the flash because he had tripped before all of this uh during that super cool slow-mo thing where he touches the sword and it goes back to Diana. But, um, like, she just stands there and it both the Whedon and the Snyder cuts and then Aquaman comes out of the water finally. You know, he looks at everyone. He turns back, does the you shall not pass. And, you know, as a scene, it's still pretty cool. Uh, And it pretty much plays out the rest of the way as in the original, they climb up the wall and they're all like, oh, man, that was uh, that was bad. You know we're we're gonna need a little bit of backup because that was uh, for all intents and purposes a failure to try and take Steppenwolf out.
0: Yeah, and I feel like just to give you know people listening to this kind of a kind of a, a stakes count of where we're at now. So leading up to that whole Harbor mission, which is something we kind of skimmed over, and we should should probably talked out talked about Steppenwolf at this point. Has two of the Mother Boxes. He got one from Themyscira. He got another one from the Atlanteans, which he laid out... uh, He laid out Arthur Curry to get, which makes Arthur Curry go like, shit, maybe Bruce Wayne had a point. That's when I got to go look him up, which leads him to joining the team, which is right before the harbor, the whole situation with the harbor. And now they're realizing, okay, we got one Mother Box, which happens, you know, conveniently to be in a cyborg's possession. And it was the the mother box that was used to create him and we have that one left and you know arthur Curry's is still kind of so-so about the mother boxes and doesn't really trust what their powers are or what they can be uh what they uh can be done with them especially since you know dark side and uh Steppen will flaunt them he assumes they're all encompassing evil these boxes but really what it comes down to a cyborg explains to the group listen the mother boxes are not inherently evil they do not have their own will they just do the will of their master they destroy and they restore life without bias they they have no skin in the game they just do whoever whatever the person who synchronizes them wants them to do that's what they do they have no actual skin in the game the same way his father wanted him to be recreated the box did its will the same way you know Darkseid wanted to destroy the world that's the will as well they have no skin in the game they will do as their master says and this is when they realize okay we got a shit ton of parademons. We got Steppenwolf. We're not coordinated. We don't even have our best weapon. Now they realize Cyborg, they're on this. They hang on the thought that, okay, Cyborg, the box brought you back. Can it bring Superman back? And Cyborg warns them listen, I don't know much about Kryptonian physiology. I don't know if the way it brought me back is exactly the way it's going to bring Superman back, no issues. And this is when the team decides, hey, go fucking dig up Superman let's use this box to bring him back and this is where we end now into kind of our our little section where kind of more. we get a little more character building moments with the team as they go to the cemetery to go dig up Superman's body but we also get a very key conversation between Steppenwolf and Darkseid where Steppenwolf kind of phones home and goes listen I got an update I have two of the mother boxes I'm looking for the third but I found something that might even be better than that third mother box and it's the anti-life equation and dark side comes right away on the kind of like on the little the little discussion portal they're having their discussion through worlds he goes you have found anti-life and Stefan Wolf's like yep he's like you're certain he's like yeah I've seen it with my own eyes I know exactly where it is and for the people listening anti-life equation is basically the power to have Basically, have your will imprinted over all sentient life. They will do as you say. They will no longer lead their own life. Thus, the anti-life equation. And Dark Side wants this more than anything because this power will allow him not only to take over the world, but have the whole world bend to his will. And this to him is just as important as getting those mother boxes. So the mother boxes can incinerate the world. But once he decides to rebuild it in his image, the anti-life equation will allow him to basically take over the minds of anyone who's left. And it's that's a big deal. And we find out that now this is a scape that's in play. So this is when the team decide, okay, we've dug up Superman. Now we need to get to his Kryptonian scout ship that's in the Star Laboratories so we can use the Mother Box. We need somewhere that has enough electric output to wake up the Mother Box so that way we can use it to resurrect Superman. And uh, Mike, I'll let you take it from there now that we're going to Star Labs with the team.
1: Originally, um, they just kind of show up at Star Labs. There's like no kind of like in the in the Whedon cut. But in the Snyder cut, they actually make a plan to actually break into Star Labs, which again... It's a lot better than just showing up. Hey, we're superheroes. We get to go into the ship because superheroes. But now, you know, they clear out Star Labs. They create a total distraction and uh, they actually get to the ship. So it explains how they get there. You know, they're they're walking through, they're, you know, they're carting uh, Clark's, you know, uh, coffin all throughout this thing. And they're seeing... Like, all the different Superman suits come come out. They're seeing, you know, his normal suit. They're seeing, like, the more General Zodish kind of armor. They, uh, it's really cool to, like, see all the different kinds of clothing that they have. And uh, they get to the exact point where uh, Doomsday was made. That, you know, little amniotic pool. They put Clark's body in there. And uh, at this point, you know, they're like, okay, so I'm not sure... You know, we have to wake up the Mother Box somehow, I don't have the power to do it, we're going to have to find a way to do it, and that's when Flash chimes in, it's like, look, you know, if I go fast enough, I might be able to generate an electric charge big enough to wake the Mother Box up. And in the original Weeden Cut, this kind of went down as kind of, you know, your normal kind of MacGuffin awakening where, you know, the Flash goes to the end of the ship, you know, he builds up enough speed and he does the electrostatic charge and everything is a okay. But, uh, oh my god, in the Snyder Cut, when uh, Cyborg goes to initialize the console, and he goes to, uh, you know, create the little key, Kryptonian key in his hand, and he plugs it in, and he's like, okay, let's go. When he plugs it in, he gets this absolutely insane vision of the future of a, a ruined earth, the, the anti-life equation, you know, coming to full fruition. Darkseid has invaded. He's out here fucking everyone up. You see him underwater in Atlantis, stabbing an Atlantean. You see him use his Omega beams and he's like cutting another guy in half behind him. It was awesome. He turns around to look at the camera, you know, and his eyes are doing that like red glow, smoky kind of shit that they usually do when, you know, you see Darkseid and other sorts of uh, material. And then they go to uh, another scene, where uh, uh, or they started it with Wonder Woman being dead and her being cremated, you know, in Greek custom, coins on her eyes, you know, she's upon her shield, she's on the funeral pyre, uh, you know, everyone, all of the Amazonians, Hippolyta is there, crying her fucking eyes out, uh, and that's when they, that's when they shift into Dark Side doing his dirty work. They move into the uh, scene where I don't know if it's Metropolis or Gotham but it's fucking destroyed you see uh, d- the dead body of a uh, of a green lantern there I forget I forget which green lantern it is Jay knows who it is but uh you see this little arch stone for the Justice League of the, of America you know like like seeing you know the future that hey they had established it and now it's all gone to dust you see Superman just kind of floating there you know he's holding the uh he's holding the Batman cowl and then, and then afterwards, or actually before this even, you know, I'm losing track of stuff out here. This is just how badly I want to talk about this movie. Before that, you see, uh, you see Superman. He's in his black suit. He's cradling Lois's dead body, and Lois is absolutely burnt to a char. She is almost unrecognizable, and Darkseid comes up behind Superman, and you think Darkseid's gonna, you know, punch him or deliver a killing blow? No. He puts his hand on his shoulder, almost like I know you know join me and we can do this and he fucking joins him and that's that's when they shoot into the scene I, I just described with the Justice League and Superman holding the cow and he, you know he's just floating it's it is um, these, this is the scene that I was talking about when uh, I was talking about the battle scene that uh, Darkseid this is what I was talking about they do that you know like two times in the movie you get to see Darkseid for like three times and the first time is, you know, he's like a young dark side, he's warrior dark side. The second time, it's, you know, warlord dark side. You know, he's been around for a long time and he's already, you know, like established and shit. And he's the big bad of apocalypse, you know, he's dark side, the god. And fucking that scene alone, it also helps deliver the uh, urgency, the stakes, you know, to let you know if you fail, this is what's going to happen this is what's going, you know, this is what you're up against. And uh, it delivers much needed heft. So as, you know, as Cyborg is experiencing this vision, you know, he's over here, uh, the Flash is waiting on Cyborg to tell him, it's like, do I go now? Should I go now? So, you know, he says, go! Uh, Cyborg's gonna go after the vision plays out and Barry's off. And uh, you didn't see it in the original cut, in the Whedon cut, In the Whedon cut, the Flash gets there as soon as the box hits the water. And every, you know, he just touches it. But in the Zack Snyder cut, uh, he actually bends the speed force a little bit. You know, which is a precursor to what happens later on in the film. And he turns back time just a touch. Just a touch, to touch the box right as it's like... As it's, you know, pinprick penetrating the water. And it was a nice little... There's a nice little foreshadowing as to what the flash would do uh later on when they take the fight to steppenwolf for the final time
0: yeah that everything about this scene you know gives the lore like you said this the, the stakes are now more clearly defined especially with dark side being able to see what this alternate future could hold you know and could actually materialize to be if the justice league fails their current mission And, you know, I'd be remiss to say, especially, you know, first of all, before we even get to the scene, another scene that was added into the Snyder Cut that wasn't originally in the Whedon Cut. We get to see Lois Lane visited in her apartment by Martha Kent and we get to see her visited. And, you know, Martha's telling her, you know, I've moved on, I've moved out of that house, you know, that I had. You know that you know where Clark grew up and where I you know where I raised Clark with my husband. I moved out of that house. The bank took it, and you know I've got myself a little apartment in the city now. You know I'm starting to move on with my life, and you know you have to do the same thing. I understand you loved Clark, and Clark's gone, but you got to do the same, and you got to move on. And she kind of gives you know you got to get back in that that you got to get back out in the world speech to, to Lois and Martha leaves the apartment, but we see that it's actually Martian Manhunter in disguise giving her that speech and this kind of plays into what happens here with uh, Superman being resurrected because and it, it, it's not really said exactly but during this whole you know these nightmare sequences that batman has been having it said that you know lois is the key lois is the key and one of the, the key for you know that uh superman turning in the nightmare machine, yeah where he decides to join dark side lois is the key because he's so grief-stricken by lois's death that he finally decides to, you know, to, to join what he was fighting against. And in Batman versus Superman, you know, Barry Allen the Speed Forces visits that, um, this is Batman right away and says, You know, Lois, she's the key, she's the key. And it kind of makes you wonder did Martian Manhunter know that Lois was the key? And this is why he decided to have this conversation with, with Lois, but. In a a different sense, rather than her being the key for Superman's, you know, kind of descent into madness in this alternate future, but kind of she's the key to get Superman to join the Justice League. Because once Superman is resurrected after that scene in the Kryptonian scout ship that Superman's brought back to life, he has no idea who he is. He doesn't have his memories at this moment. He's actually even looking his vision is all changed he hasn't even assimilated it's like he hasn't assimilated to earth's atmosphere because he has the same vision that the kryptonians had when they first landed on earth where everything was kind of like you know unicolor and everything looked different until they kind of you know got themselves used to you know to being in earth's atmosphere and he attacks the the justice league he beats the shit out of each and every member coming as close to even beating, you know, not beating the shit out of Batman, I killing Batman. And it's Lois who shows up right in the nick of time and is like, Clark. Clark. And finally gets him to stop and he leaves with her. And, you know, I'll let Mike go into a little more you know, detail about this scene, but I feel like initially we see her a few times in the Whedon cut. But I feel like without having that Martian Manhunter scene where he, you know, he's disguised as Martha Kent to kind of explain to her, hey, you need to get back on the horse. You need to get back out there and live your life. You need to do all these things. And with him kind of purposely goading Lois to come out of hiding from, you know, her apartment to stop, you know, living in grief and to kind of, you know, join the real world again. I feel like that was done by Martian Manhunter kind of as a play because he knew at some point Superman was going to come into the bowl and that Superman was not himself. Martha would be the only thing that would ground him back to reality because it unchecked Superman would just be devastation for everyone and I feel like without that scene we can't have that scene we had with Superman fighting the Justice League and finally being, you know, getting, you know leveled to ground by uh, Lois if we don't have the Martian Manhunter scene and it's kind of weird that in the we didn't cut, we just kind of get Lois just kind of coming to Superman kind of by happenstance and just happening to be there. Like you saw the news coverage of Superman. Oh, he's back alive. He's, you know, killing everyone. And she goes, you know, stops him. But I feel like having that Martian Manhunter scene take place before this like it did here in the Snyder Cut kind of makes it more impactful and it kind of shows you that Martian Manhunter is kind of playing chess and not checkers and he's kind of planning these moves carefully knowing that if the Justice League has any chance of surviving their upcoming big battle, they need Superman on board because that's the kind of one ace in the hole that Steppenwolf has not taken into account at this point.
1: You know, that that's kind of a good point. And until you had said it, I really didn't think about it that way. I, I just, I kind of thought that Martian Manhunter had gone to visit Lois simply because as also an alien being and seeing the only other alien being that you know being killed that he had somehow related to you know like oh man he was he was different like me but you know all this that and the third but I didn't even think that Martian manhunter knows that Lois plays a bigger more important role than even she knows I I never thought about that until now and it it makes sense because uh in the weeden cut, Uh, Batman is originally the one who has Alfred go get Lois. You you know, as a... The big guns, as he puts it. Uh, Because in the original Weedon cut, you know, uh, Superman has him by the fucking neck, and he does that cheesy bullshit throwaway line from Batman versus Superman "Tell me, do you bleed? Which, ugh. And, um, you know, he gets thrown down to the car, and then Batman's like, Alfred,
0: I need the big guns!
1: And, you know, in drives... And he drives with Lois, and Lois, you know, gets him to calm down, do all this. In uh, the Snyder Cut, after Martian Manhunter says his piece to Lois, she begins her day. And she's out and about, and uh, it, it's it starts, and like this scene starts, you know, Superman's resurrection starts in the morning. So when he finally is resurrected, he flies straight up, straight up into the sky, you know, above all the buildings. And Lois is out doing her thing, you know, getting ready to go to work or whatever. And she sees him in the sky. And it's, you know, almost like a a chance happening. You know, it's like, is that really who I think it is? And so she makes her way towards, you know, he he flies over to his uh, old destroyed uh, tribute statue. And she makes her way there. Obviously, it takes time because that was a ways away. So, you know, it sets up for that uh, original fight scene. Uh, which you know, poor Flash. He, he's only got like he's got the Speed Force, and just to have Superman's ops, just kind of, hey, I can kind of keep up with you. Bullshit is you know, it's only it's only as much Superman bullshit as you know you want to see because we all know that Superman is grossly overpowered and whenever someone gets a new power he's like oh hey I could kind of do that too or you know oh hey I can move just as fast or hey I can you know lift the fucking specter who weighs infinity but uh, in this you know it's it's funny to see it's you know Barry's face you know his reaction is funny because he's looking at Clark and he's like huh (laughs) like nobody is nobody was able to keep up with me before and now you know you got this guy you got Superman here and he's like looking at me as I'm running past him like what is that but uh, beyond that, the scene for like maybe one or two, one or two things is mostly the same. Uh, they, you know, the different one different part is that they have, the, you know, the Flash tries to bum rush Superman, and Superman just straight dodges him, and the Flash runs into Aquaman, and I was like, ah, that's funny. And um, you know, like you said, Superman almost goes to kill uh batman you know instead of you know doing the whole lift you by the throat he instead turns the heat vision on and you know he's heating up the gauntlets you know you uh, previously in the movie we had seen alfred working on new gauntlets for batman that dissipate heat so he could you know kind of block the shots wonder woman style from the parademons you know energy rifles and uh he's just trying to you know like keep keep superman's heat vision you know in you know right from singeing his face off and, you know, like, one burns off and he's like, ah, God. So, you know, he he puts the other one up and, you know, Superman's doing the heat vision again and that's, you know, he is ready to kill him. He's, like, ready to just just melt his fucking chest off and that's when you finally see Lois running. Clark, no! Clark, no! And, you know, like, it, it does the same shit, you know, Superman stops, he's stopped in his tracks, he's like, oh my God, you know, I remember you, Lois. And, you know, he takes Lois and off they go to fucking Kansas it's a it was it's a good scene it is now that I think about it it's a lot more clever now that I've now that I've thought about the Martian Manhunters you know their their exchange in the way that he's trying to get Lois Lois is the key for several things and you know hey you have a big role much more than you know and this is kind of my way of nudging you into it Which, uh, you know, now that I think about it, is nice. It's nice.
0: Yeah, I feel like that's a big thing that kind of connects those, kind of connects, you know, Lois' story thread of her grief and everything she's dealing with and kind of, you know, crosses it into what's going on with the Justice League. And, you know, we also got to talk about now that after, you know, Superman disappears, Steppenwolf shows up, gets it to Star Labs, and is able to acquire the last Mother Box. Uh, Cyborg isn't able to defeat him. His, uh, Cyborg's father locks himself in a containment cube, uh, in a kind of like a little containment, I should say, like kind of jail cell with the cube, and heats it up with a laser that the heat from the laser activates the mother box and the mother box completely shreds him and steppenwolf just ends up breaking into the containment cell after pushing cyborg aside stealing the last mother box and getting the hell out of it and at first this is kind of played for like oh man like if you're you're watching it initially and you're like the hell is cyborg's father doing that he just sacrificed it for no reason like he just incinerated himself To buy time, it looked like... For Steppenwolf not to get the box... And you're kind of confused about this at first... And you're like... Okay, he bought time... So Steppenwolf is going to get the mother box... But Steppenwolf still got the mother box... So does it really fucking matter? Like, why did he kill himself? But then this is where they play it off clever... Where it's found out later on... Once the other Justice League members join... Cyborg in the room... And Cyborg realizes... Wait, he he wasn't trying to kill himself. He wasn't trying to buy time. He heated up the mother box just enough that the box would be hot, letting off energy, and would give off an energy signature so now the Justice League can follow Steppenwolf to where he's taken the box so he can do the synchronization. And it's just a little, you know, it's not a big thing in the movie, but it's just a little clever way of getting from point A to point B. And it's a, you know... You know, it's a cool thing, and while this is going on, we kind of get, you know, back and forth shots with Superman, now in Kansas, going through his old family home, kind of being introspective, with Lois talking to him and telling him, you know, you need to get back in the game, you know, they need you, you're the beacon of hope, and then he finally goes to, you know, his, you know, his ship or whatever, and he looks through and he sees all the suits of the, of the past, his, you know, he gets to see his father, Jor-El's suit, he sees his suit he wore, and he decides to don The black suit, which everyone, you know, is a big fan of the black with the silver crest. And he decides to don that suit and he flies off and we get to see now he's gone. And now we're seeing, you know, the Justice League now go to where Steppenwolf is and basically the hideout where he has this big kind of like protective orb over the kind of, I, I believe I want to say it's Russia, over this part of like Russia or Europe or someplace. And he's got this kind of big energy field orb to protect himself so he can do the synchronization with him pair of demons. But the Justice League come and storm it. And this is a better ending sequence, a better ending battle sequence. Although it is essentially in context the same as the one we got in the Whedon cut. There is one stupid thing, and me and Mike talked about this at length yesterday as we were watching this, that is eliminated from the Snyder Cut that was in the Weeding Cut. It's amazing that it's eliminated, and it's the little story with the little Russian or European family, however you want to describe them, that you're telling me in this 100 acres of land that whatever the Dark Side has covered up in this, in this, uh, not Dark Side, that Steppenwolf has covered up in this uh, shield that he has made, this energy shield, there's one family that lives there and throughout this whole time you are watching like the justice league realize oh my god there's you know there's there's still people here we got to be careful with our instruction and all that that whole side little caveat the little side you know that little way of uh you know artificially raising stakes that we can put in the final you know uh battle for no reason is completely gone out of the snyder cut there's no family the entire place is just desolate and the Justice League is allowed to run wild on the Parademons and do what they have to do to get to Steppenwolf. And it overall makes the battle so much better because you get to see them in their element without having to watch the little side plot of Flash being bogged down with, how am I going to save these people while still doing what I have to do? We don't have to worry about that now. We just get right into the crux of it. And I think this is so much better in how it's laid out and how it's taken care of. Not Because it's like, we already have stakes. If the Justice League don't complete their mission, the whole planet's gone. Fuck a family. The whole planet's gone. We don't need the family to boost the Justice League's motivation for wanting to save everyone. They have motivation already. You don't need to add an artificial motivation to boost the stakes even further because at that point it's overkill. It's like, why do they need to care just about one singular family when collectively... They are saving the lives of every family and every sentient creature on earth by trying to complete the mission they're trying to complete and the fact that snyder took that little piece out and just let the mission be what it was supposed to be that he had already built up to for the past three hours i thought was much more tasteful and it was a lot better of a move than what whedon did where whedon was like okay you know we kind of been going at a, you know, a blazing saddles pace, you know, to, to get to this ending. I'm going to artificially inflate the stakes by adding this family in there, even though it makes contextually no damn sense that they're there. I'm just going to add it in because, you know, we need to make the stakes higher, which when you think about it, what stakes can be higher than total world domination if you fail?
1: Yeah, I agree. Full stop. That That is definitely... The Russian family and their little arc is definitely one of those Whedon touches from a more Marvel kind of perspective to add a more human element. And don't get me wrong, in, in some sort of in a different movie that would have worked because in the original Whedon cut you you see them kind of like, you know, at dinner and whatever and they're doing whatever and then the parademons invade. You know, Steppenwolf goes to, and, and I'm guessing that it, they never really say it but it's implied that it's Chernobyl, that it's Pripyat, so they go, they go to the reactor because it's derelict. You know, nobody's gonna find them, and it's uh, it's like a perfect place because it's all irradiated and shit. So I guess it would make terraforming the uh, the earth better for them. But uh, yeah, that uh, the Whedon family, as I'm going to call them from now on. They, they were definitely a byproduct of a more Marvel-ish sort of push to, you know, just put an extra leg of, you know, hey, have have them help this family, and Superman's going to do the same shit when he comes, and because he lifts a whole ass building and he's moving them away. Whereas in the Snyder Cut, as it actually is, Pripyat is a fucking ghost town. Especially being that close to the reactor, there's nobody there. There's no sort of life beyond. I'm guessing, you know, endemic plant and animal life, but uh, no human life whatsoever. And it again, it, it works so much better because they don't have to worry about, you know, human lives. They can absolutely do what they need to do and not worry about, uh, you know, civilian casualties. You know, uh, damage. They they, they just got to do what they do. And, uh, it's a much, much better, much better, uh, kind of, kind of little side plot for the Flash to take on. Because, in the Whedon cut, Batman's over there like, hey, can you go get the people and just bring them out? Yeah, yeah, you're good at that, right, Barry? Yeah, yeah, Because, yeah, you did that earlier in the movie. Yeah, so, go do it now. Which, uh, that... Especially in the Whedon cut, the Flash kind of feels like he's uh, suited or, or relegated to, you know, helping people get out of wherever they are. And I'm not saying that didn't happen in the Snyder cut, but in the Snyder cut, you know, he chose it himself. He was like, okay, you know, let me help Cyborg get these people out of here. And uh, in the water treatment plant, it happened a lot differently. But with the uh, the final battle at the, uh, at the power plant, at the nuclear plant, there's nothing there for him to go save. He can absolutely do what he has to do, and he ends up... Uh, when they go to finally, you know, attack Steppenwolf, he's building up the speed, because uh, Cyborg had told them before, look, you know, if this thing unites, if all three mother boxes unite, I'm going to need a... I can interface it, but in order to separate it, I need a massive amount of power to, you know, even get in there. So... As, as they're all doing this, the Flash is just running laps around the fucking, the nuclear plant. He's like, you know, super fast. He, it's fucking nuts. It's it's a great fucking, it was, it was a great little thing for the Flash. And, um, unfortunately, as they're, uh, you know, as the battle is playing out, you have Batman, who's pretty much just taking out the of demons who are defending the, uh, Uh, the power plant from you know whoever as cyborg as wonder woman and as aquaman all the uh assault the inside you know they to get to steppenwolf to get you know him away from the mother box cyborg can do his thing as the flash is building up a charge uh one of the parademons accidentally not accidentally he somehow somehow, I don't fucking know how, when you have the Flash moving this fast, he he's like, okay, I'm gonna pet the Ace on the Flash somehow, and he ends up hitting the Flash with, you know, his big plasma cannon, and the Flash stops, he comes to it, you know, he's he's rolling all over the floor, and he's hurt bad, You know, he, he gets one right to the side, and, uh, you know, was looking pretty bad. Uh, before all this, or as all this is happening, you know, obviously wonder woman and aquaman they're getting the rest is kicked by by uh steppenwolf uh steppenwolf who now you know taking a little bit of the power from the mother box into himself he has like these glowy eyes these cool glowy eyes and shit so he's you know kicking the rest is pretty much doing whatever and in the original ween cut you see him go up to cyborg and he acts he actually you know pulls him apart like he He bisects him completely. He pulls his leg off. You know, he pulls his arm off and shit. Whereas in the Snyder Cut, he's going... He's, like, sizing him up. You know, he's getting ready to to put the axe down on him. And instead of... uh, As he's putting... As he's, you know, going to put the axe down, he's he's like, I'm gonna get you, you fucker. You you just see, like, a black blur come down right in front of, like, Cyborg. And the axe just, like, goes right into fucking Superman's shoulder. And it just clangs right off. And he's like, Ding! And Superman's like, mm, not impressed. So he, you know, he does his ice breath on the axe, and like he does, like you know, he snaps it in fucking pieces. And like Steppenwolf's like, oh fuck. <laughs> and there you see the absolute beatdown of Steppenwolf. Uh, it is so, so much worse than what he, than what he got in the original cut. He gets his shit pushed in it is an absolute massacre for steppenwolf you know they're they're playing fucking ping pong between wonder woman aquaman and superman just bopping them back and forth and then uh you know superman gets on top of him and he uses his heat vision to cut off one of his horns which you know is like all brutal and he's like ah and he's he's punching him while he's on the ground you know he's all mma you know just punching him you know heat vision punching him heat vision and uh while all this is happening you know, you obviously have Cyborg uh, completely unharmed in this cut. He's still trying to interface, but he can't do it. He, like he, he, it's just not happening. And since the Flash, you know, he doesn't have uh, the charge built up. You know, he's gotta he's gotta stop and focus and see if he can try to heal so he can continue running. Well, they end up running out of time, and uh, as as they're waiting, the mother box is synchronized. They coalesce and they become like this white sort of like you know like ultimate mother box and uh, that's when you see a big ass portal open up behind Steppenwolf and Superman and uh, who's there you know none, none other but the big man himself you, you see Darkseid there with uh, Desaad and Granny Goodness and you know he turns around to look at them and you know like Steppenwolf's like alright uh, help me <laughs> and fucking you think that Darkseid would, would come through but no uh, cyborg loses control of the mother box completely and it just nuclear bombs it absolutely decimates everyone except for the flash who's still outside and uh this this part it was, it was so awesome for the flash he actually manages to survive by going into the speed force he you know he survives he sees everything happening and he sees the bomb decimating it, but since he's between time you know he can't be fucked with So, uh, this is, and this is where Flash's big moment comes in. He gathers up the speed, he gathers up the energy and he does like this cool little, you know, like almost like a Tai Chi kind of movement to run as fast as he can. Accessing as much uh, of the speed force as he can to turn back time and, and you know, rebuild everything that had been destroyed. And, uh, normally i'm not one for time travel in fucking movies god knows in endgame i even though i liked endgame i was like all right time travel is kind of a shitty way to do all this even though they had no other way but uh when it comes to the flash considering that he already has time manipulation powers considering that flashpoint is already a thing where he creates different dimensions considering that the speed force is so much more than the ability to move fast like you see him go back in time Constantly, And in Justice, his ultimate move, he goes back in time and he's slamming you against the fucking Sphinx. He's slapping you against the fucking T-Rex. It, it, it's, you know, he's he can do it. It's easy. Easy mode for him. But in this, you know, in the Snyder Cut, he is, you know, learning how to do that, how to access the biggest parts of the Speed Force. And he brings it all back in time. And uh, not only does he bring it all back in time, but he runs straight into the reactor And he gives you know he touches cyborg for the boost he needed and then you see like cyborg you know you go into cyborg's eye and it goes into like a little tron thing where you know you're traveling through this you know cyberspace tunnel and it puts cyborg right in the middle of like all this apocalyptic hellscape you know there's all like the ships are hanging out there's buildings you know everywhere and he he turns around and this happens you know a couple times in the movie for him but now he, go, he turns around and he sees his mother his, his father newly dead and uh, he sees him you know a completed him and you know they, they tell him it's like look you know we can be together again you know we can be a family we can be whole and all this and then Cyborg realizes that uh, no this these are the mother boxes trying to fuck with me you know they're they're trying to give me a, a false hope you know they're trying to sucker me in just so they could you know destroy me or whatever so uh obviously cyborg sees through the bullshit and he's like he's like you know i I thought i needed that and he's like but i'm not broken and then he puts his hands into them and he starts trying to like push them apart and then he's like and i'm not alone and that's when you see you know he pulls like the mother boxes apart and they're kind of represented by like these witchy looking kind of figures with white hair and like almost like eddie from iron maiden kind of looking things And, and he's pulling them apart and finally you know, he's able to separate them. And then it snaps back to reality. And, uh, you know, he calls for Superman's help. And in the original, they had, you know, they had Superman pull it apart, you know, normally. But in this one, you know, he's like, Superman! And you see Superman show up and he's like, they're, they're pulling it apart, you know, as fast as they can. And the whole time, you know, you got Dark Side watching and shit. So they pull the boxes apart. And then, uh, you know, finally Steppenwolf gets up. And he's like, yeah, you, you know, you may have pulled the mother boxes apart, but, you know, guess what? He's still going to kick your ass. So he does, like, this one final battle roar, and oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. The way in which Steppenwolf was dispatched in the original cut was some sort of bullshit, where, like, you know, he, like, he was like, oh god, you know, my, my resolve is shaken. I'm kind of scared, and they had done this thing where you know the parademons could smell fear so they they sought people out who had a lot of fear and they were like they started the parademons started looking at him in the original and they're like oh we're gonna kill you now uh, in the Snyder Cut no it is a much more definitive uh, dispatching he does this battle roar and and he's like oh so you know you think you think he's gonna go out for one more final thing nope you see Aquaman behind him and he just Absolutely impales him with his fucking trident. You just see blood fucking come out of his chest. And he's just like, oh, God. And I'm like, it was I when I saw that I was like, yo. So Aquaman lifts him up. Superman comes and punches him off the trident and he punches him towards the portal. But we're not done yet. As he's flying towards the portal, Wonder Woman comes in for one final attack. She comes over him with her sword. And she brings the sword down right on his neck, and you just see, like, a trail of blood come from his neck to the sword, you know, Wonder Woman, you know, she looks up, and then you just see uh, Steppenwolf's head fly off his fucking body, and and his head and his body fly into the portal to Darkseid's, you know, place, and Darkseid, you know, is standing there, he just stops Steppenwolf's head, and he steps on it, and he breaks the other horn. And uh, they have like a little staring match where, you know, it's like, hmm, you know, Superman and everyone else are like, look, this, you, you got this waiting for you. Should you decide? The portal closes, and we get this, you know, we get this nice badass moment where Desad, you know, looks over to the dark side and he's like, see, I told you Steppenwolf would fail. And then Dark Side's over here like, yeah, you're right. So, uh, you know, and then Desad asks him, how will you reclaim your uh, your, uh, your prize, my master? And then Dark Side goes, it's like, well, we have to get anti-life back at any cost. So he goes, we will uh, prepare the armadas. We will use the old ways, setting up an invasion, you know, a complete invasion of Earth. And you know, that's when we see Dark Side, and, and uh, Granny Goodness walk away. And uh, whew, I, I gotta say, the uh, that ending, the way they kill Steppenwolf. Oh man, I uh, I marked out a little bit when we were watching it. I uh, I was yo, oh my god, <coughs> it was fantastic.
0: Yeah, I I I I will say this. I mean, you needed to have the Justice League emphatically kill, emphatically kill Steppenwolf to send that message to Darkseid. Like, listen, this may be Earth. You may see us as less than. But Earth has its protectors now, and we are not to be fucked with. And I thought that was an amazing, you know, way to do it. And I also love the fact that, you know, that seed with Darkseid saying, you know, we'll use the old ways is kind of really a play on, you know, kind of like the the scene in the Avengers with Thanos where, well, oh, fine, I'll do it myself, you know, type of thing. It's a very, it's a good play on that scene, kind of, and very similar to that. So, you know, we we have that with Darkseid. you know, is kind of like planning his next move and, you know, now the Justice League can kind of celebrate their victory for a little bit. So after the battle, we have Bruce, uh, Bruce Wayne, Diana, and Alfred Pennyworth, you know, they agree to use the former Wayne Manor, the old Wayne Manor that Bruce is not currently using, as the new Hall of Justice. And they're saying they're going to get a new hall, they're going to have a big table with room for more members and then you Diana kind of gets another uh, receives another message from the Amazonian so she goes off we see kind of Barry Allen the flash uh, going to visit his father in jail and tell his father that he finally has a way to kind of help him get out now because he got a job at Central City's police department his father kind of marks out and goes you know my son I knew you'd do it you know you get your foot in the door and he starts laughing and then um you know Victor we talked about the Victor, a.k.a. Cyborg, listens to the tape recorded uh, message that his father left behind for him and tells him, you know, about all the gifts and the tools that he now has at his disposal and, you know, the kind of impact he could have on the world and that even though Victor is not who he was originally in life, he's just as proud of him as ever, despite what Victor may think of himself. And, you know, Victor kind of cracks a smile to himself and kind of now finally accepts this plight and life that he's been given. And then we also see Aquaman after this. He kind of bids farewell to Mara and tells, you know, I think his name is Volko, that he's going to, you know, he's going to go see his father now. And that kind of sets us up for what happens in the Aquaman film. Superman, you know, we get another quick cut to now Superman, who's, you know, still continuing his life as Clark Kent, the reporter. And we see him about to change into his outfit after he realizes some dangers on the way. And we also see Bruce, you know, telling Lois and Martha, you know, that he got, you know, he got the Kent's house back from the bank by just buying the bank, you know, big ball of shit that Bruce Wayne would do. And then we get here to our first kind of like, you know, get to the epilogue where we see uh, Lex Luthor, who's in Arkham Asylum. He's laughing to himself in a room. And the guard tells him to shut up basically and decides to go check on him. Why is he laughing so much? He opens the door. It's a guy who looks like Lex Luthor, but it's not Lex Luthor. And you realize that Lex Luthor has somehow escaped his way out of Arkham Asylum. We fast forward, we see a yacht in the middle of the sea with a boat, a little mini boat coming up to it. Slade Wilson, AKA Deathstroke gets off the boat. And he basically has this kind of, you know, criminal mastermind meeting with uh, Lex Luthor and goes, Hey, you better not be wasting my time. What's this? And, you know, Lex Luthor basically tells him, in, you know, so many words, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically, like, you know, I value my life and I'm not trying to screw you over and I'm got, you know, I got something really you're going to value. He goes, you know, I wonder what your beef with the Batman is. Maybe it's an eye for an eye. And he's kind of looking at, you know, the eye patch that Slade has over his eye and kind of, you know, signaling back how Batman took out that eye. And he goes, so Slade tells him, okay. what's the deal? Why'd you bring me here? And he tells him, well, I got some information for you. How about this? Batman's real identity is Bruce Wayne and it's a fucking bombshell that hits you. And I'm assuming where it had this scene originally come out with the original version of Justice League. This is where that solo Batman film was going, that Batman would have become public enemy number one with Deathstroke on his ass using that you know, basically, key information, I know you're Bruce Wayne against him, and it would have built up for such a good movie, and, you know, it's a shame that we're not going to get that, because I know Ben Affleck had his issues trying to get the script together, because he also wanted to write and direct, and, you know, a lot of things didn't come to pass, but just that little tidbit of information we got there, that changed, because in the original we didn't cut, that original conversation between Lex Luthor and Slade Wilson, it's about creating you know the legion of doom it's about creating a team of supervillains to go up against the the justice league it's not about create uh, about batman specifically but in this one it's more about batman specifically and it would have you know and it's just about hey i know batman is bruce wayne do with that information what you will and this is kind of a way that lex Luthor is basically buying slade wilson's loyalty for when he needs him down the line which i thought was a great thing to have and you know we have this scene and it kind of hits boom 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 but we don't even get time to rest on that because right after that we get the nightmare visions of all nightmare visions i'll let mike talk about this one so uh
1: back in batman versus superman which everyone has seen already the uh the nightmare stuff happens it's uh, basically bruce wayne just having a nightmare <clears throat> Excuse me, and uh, in it, he's pretty much going off. Uh, ooh, <clears throat> he's pretty much going off. Um, this this nightmare that he's having, of uh, Superman taking over the world in in its absoluteness. <clears throat> and uh, in in the uh, in the Snyder cut, we see him and a couple others. They're getting ready to move into again. I'm not sure if it's Metropolis or Gotham City, <clears throat> but uh, they're there. They're getting ready to go move into it. You know, they have a a couple of them. <clears throat> oh wow, I'm losing my voice here.
0: <clears throat> Jay, why don't you take over for me? I I don't know why it's <laughs> all right. So basically, they're they're you know, they're basically over here. You know we had the nightmare visions that went on in Batman versus Superman. And we had, you know, kind of, kind of, I want to say times in this, this movie that we were alluded to the fact that, of what the future could be. And this alternate reality could be, if Darkseid was allowed to get the synchronization, was allowed to take control of the anti-life equation, it was allowed to, to a lesser extent, control Superman and use him as his personal instrument of destruction. So we kind of get this whole like nightmare sequence. It's in the desolated world. Everything is destroyed. You kind of see Darkseid's you know, ship in the air. You see parademons around. You know, it's kind of like a, a hellish landscape, kind of like almost like a Mad Max landscape. It's a barren wasteland earth looks like it's just been through the ringer and we see you know, pair demons looking around searching and they fly off they don't find anything. Batman appears from out of a wreckage of a couple of cars on a bridge and goes, you know, okay they're finally gone. You don't know who he's talking to but then you finally see it's one of the people are Mara the next one is uh, an older Barry Allen Flash Deathstroke is with them in a weird turn of events because we were just talking about him and then also, Jarrett Leto's Joker returns for this, and he is also with them. And Batman and Deathstroke are talking about, you know, you know, what's the next move. And then you have the conversation between Joker when Joker decides to interject himself. The conversation between himself and Batman, and he kind of pushes Batman buttons to see how Batman's going to react because now Batman's kind of the leader of this ragtag group. And he's kind of telling Batman, you know, you know, it always offended me how you sent a boy to do a man's job. Kind of talking about how Jason Todd, because in this universe, Jason Todd did exist and he was killed by the Joker. And he tells Batman, you know, you know, it always offended me how you sent a boy to do a man's job. Do you want to know what Jason Todd's last words were as he was bleeding and, you know, out begging for help? And then Batman turns it around on him. And in this nightmare hellish sequence, I guess in this world, in this reality, Harley Quinn is dead and Batman goes, You wanna know what Harley Quinn's last words were is I was holding her bleeding out body in my arms. And him and Batman kind of have this face off where they're kind of like going at it. And it's very reminiscent of the killing joke in the sense of like, he's trying to get in Batman's head, but Batman's counteracting it and getting back in his head. But they both kind of have the mutual look in their eyes, like, "Eh, well played, well fucking played. And Joker, during this conversation, hands Batman a Joker card and goes, "As long as you have this card in your possession, we have a truce and we will work together. But if you don't have this card in your possession, then you know basically it's on between us." And Batman basically makes it known in those small words that while he's accepting the truce, and these are like this is this part here is not paraphrasing. This is an actual part he says in the movie. He goes, "Make no mistake, Joker." I will fucking kill you, and I kind of marked out because I'm like, holy shit, Batman just dropped not only an F-bomb, but he told the Joker straight up, I will fucking kill you. Like, no problem, I will fucking end you, I will wipe you off this goddamn earth, I don't care if I brought you with me out of some fucking sort of pity, but it it shows you also in this weird nightmare world how desperate Batman really is, that he's gonna bring the ultimate agent of chaos into this unit of whatever's the last vestiges of of a... heroes that we have left he's going to bring this agent of chaos this complete fucking wild card into this knowing that humanity's restoration relies on this but he was still will- willing to bring the joker into th- and it, it it kind of really just by joker's presence alone being there and that batman brought him along willingly just shows you how like down in the fucking dumps batman is and the great part about this is you know kind of like a, sh- a sound goes off from the ship and they're like oh fuck. he found us and that's when superman lowers down all heat vision eyed readied up and Batman wakes up from the nightmare and you're like holy shit this alternate world here is fucking insane and the fact that yes they're only visions but I'm assuming we're gonna get to see more of this world in in the Flashpoint movie whenever that actually comes out and the best part about this scene that we haven't even got to is is that Once Bruce Wayne wakes up from this nightmare, he kind of goes out to the deck of where he's living and kind of looks at the water and landing in front of him is Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter is like, you may not know me, but, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, basically an ally, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he kind of like explains to him a little bit of who he is without going too deep into it. And says, you know, I've been known by many names and, you know, many different identities over the years. And I've assumed many roles, but you can call me Martian Manhunter. And he tells, you know, he tells Bruce that he thanks him for assembling the team, but they will be in contact at some point in the future, now that you know, they know Darkseid at some point is gonna come. They don't know when, but they know it's gonna come. And I thought that was kind of a great way to kind of cap it off because now you got all these things in play that, you know, you got the nightmare world going on, which may or may not turn into its own thing. You have Martian Manhunter into the mix knowing that he's gonna join. We still have no idea where Green Laners bring going to end up and who it's going to end up on if we're going to get a green lantern the justice league we have superman now you know back in the fold we have barry allen now you know getting his job as a, uh, as a working with the, the central city police department i should say we have cyborg now accepting himself we have wonder woman part of the group we have aquaman now accepting kind of where his role is in atlantis and we have all these things going on i felt like we were now with dark Side's impending threat coming up and that's not even talking about the the, the brief thing we forgot to mention as well. That we do get a little little clip of Star Labs, you know, kind of going under uh, being held now by Ryan Choi, which a lot of people, you know, don't know ends up becoming the Adam later in the series. So, you know, for a lot of you that watch Super Friends and all that stuff on the cartoon network that, that he's the Adam. And you know, he's gonna end up eventually coming into the fold at some point if they continue to, to continue on with this. And I think there's no way they can I'm sure the streams are through the roof. I'm sure word of mouth is amazing. I mean, I'm sure there's even bigger DC fans out there than me and Mike over here that are gushing over the film. And I feel like if there was any time for Warner Brothers and DC to do right by their fans and actually invest in something that the fans actually want, It's this type of storytelling, and it's this kind of plot that Snack Cider was building upon. He has said in interviews that this was supposed to be a good five-part series of movies where he would have expanded upon everything that he put in this director's cut. And I feel like at this point, if the ghost of Marvel is really bothering, if that specter of Marvel, I should say, the, the shadow of Marvel is looming over DC so hard and Warner Brothers so hard that they want to compete, this is how you compete this is how you do it you you methodically plan out you make your things tie in in a way that makes sense and and you do it in an intricate manner like you did with this film and you build upon it It doesn't have to be next day you know we get our payoff and you know you blow your load immediately that's not what i'm saying you you take your time you step by step you think out the possible outcomes and you have fun with it. You make it a passion project. And obviously, for Zack Snyder's, with this cut, this was a passion project. He was willing to take his time with it. He was willing to give us multiple plot threads, which converged on each other, while not only paying off in this movie, but also expanding further out where these plot threads can leak into future films if they ever do decide to continue upon this, which I'm hoping they do. And I'm telling you, they have enough here that you can really actually get this. DC Universe going off the ground and I don't know uh, Mike are you back? I am. Alright alright so we could you, I'll let you take it away from here
1: My voice may be on the way up but I do want to get these these thoughts out I am pissed off mainly because this movie this cut of Justice League was fucking fantastic I, I, I had I had a lot of fun watching this the same way I would have fun watching a Marvel movie um also i think jared leto could do a good joker now his scene in the nightmare was so so it, like it had flashes of ledger so i was like wait jared leto can do the you could do the joker and and it cuz in suicide squad his joker was shit it was absolutely shit y- you can't you can't get me to change my mind on it he looked like shit he sounded like shit but for this nightmare scene he has a much more traditional joker appearance all the tattoos are fucking gone he's just got the normal white painted face you know like an almost spray painted mouth like his teeth are red too and it's fucking weird you know he's got the he's got the long green hair and it was a much better performance uh it, like it was it was again and i looked up you know a couple of articles about him and he was he himself said that uh this Joker was an evolution, and I fully fucking believe it. And I'm, if if they were to have, you know, an actual Batman movie, which obviously we know not gonna happen, but uh, I don't think I would honestly mind seeing Jared Leto as Joker anymore. It like it was such a different performance than what we got in Suicide Squad. But uh, to cap it all off, yeah, I'm I'm pissed off that this movie came out now several years after justice league had you know come out several years after warner brothers was like all right washing my hands of several things after henry uh, henry cavill washed his hands of superman after ben affleck is done uh, the only people who aren't done are jason momoa are uh gal gadot uh and obviously the the uh, actors from shazam and such
0: Yeah, don't Uh, forget uh, Ezra Miller as well as Flash.
1: Yes, yes, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller still in it, but like, this was what the DCU needed. This was absolutely necessary. Like I said, it should have been a two-part movie. You know, even if they didn't want to do the whole Marvel thing and build up, make you know a nice smattering of maybe six or seven movies to start out your your characters to start into a Justice League they should have let Zack Snyder continue on and and I know tragedy struck for Zack Snyder and that's it's terrible what happened to him and his family uh, but uh, you know the consequences were severe for the movie and you know Joss Whedon's vision for it was again a mediocre take on a much beloved comic franchise
0: yeah and I mean you know we all you know say maybe out of you know selfishness that we wish that you know zach snyder would have been able to continue on and you know we all understand the tragedy that took place with him no need to rehash that and all the things that were going on in his life you know and we all say that you know selfishness we wish he could have continued on you know maybe mentally you know regardless of what we would have wanted selfishly this was the perfect time to complete this film because you know he uh you know he was in a better most likely a mental headspace and all that stuff to create this film. And I will say this, you know, sometimes it's kind of crazy because we talked about way at the, way back at the beginning of this episode, how, you know, this film really starts off in a somber mood and it really has a lot of, you know, really hard hitting emotional tones and more somber stuff that's in it than what was originally in the and cut. And I feel like that probably comes out of a headspace of creativity of, you know, Creativity of when you are in that kind of mindset, you know, sometimes, you know, genius things are made in that kind of mindset, you know, I'm just happy that he can be back, he can create art, and he can do what he loves to do and I'm, I'm glad for that. But I will say, you know, wrapping up my thoughts on this film, you know, had this been the vision that we got coming out, yes, I think it would have been well-received. But because of everything we've gone through with the original weed and cut coming out first, and then you know, have, knowing that there was deleted scenes, knowing that there was more that could have been of this film, with multiple Zack Snyder interviews throughout the year, even Warner Bros. confirming to a certain you know, to a certain uh, certain aspect that you know there was more of this film that could be out there. I think the fever pitch is what you know created the hype around this new cut. And while the cut is good, I don't think if it had came back, came out then before the Whedon cut, would it be as appreciated as it is as it is going to be going forward and meet, even becoming a cult classic within the superhero genre? Because of the fact that we had to get what we got with the weed and cut and all the controversy that surrounded it to get to this point, I feel like, have we had just gotten this as good as it was right off the bat? Yeah, we probably would be already in the midst of a, a better expanded universe for the DC, you know, for the DC universe on as far as it goes with film. But I don't think it would it would be as appreciated as heralded as it is, because we would have just been expecting this now. But now that we know what the pivot could have been and it's kind of like, you know, you got to go through the shit to get through where you're to where you're going sometimes. And I feel like in this case, it's, you know, yeah, we took the shit on the chin with the weed and cut. But now I feel like we've gotten to where we should have been. And now we know what could have been. And, you, you know, now. It's, it's really the ball is really in Warner Brothers and uh in DC's court as to how they want to proceed with this because i know they have suicide squad currently in development they have the new flash movie they have a Shazam movie another Shazam sequel they have a a black adam film all coming out but it's up to them now as to if they want to keep doing solo movies or if they want to course correct and i'm feeling that depending on the response to this because we're still only two days removed since this has come out on streaming depending on how this goes going forward I feel like we'll really tell if the pressure is going to be put on Warner Brothers neck to be like shit maybe we have something here and maybe we should start exploring some of these Zack Snyder plans that he already had
1: yeah I agree I it, it's going to take an absolute Miracle for Warner Brothers to want to reinstate the Snyderverse. And if they do, I'm going to need them to step aside and let Snyder do whatever he wants to do. Because uh, it's popular to shit on Zack Snyder, but I like Zack Snyder. I've always enjoyed his movies. I liked Watchmen. I liked uh, 300. And I liked Man of Steel. I didn't care for Batman versus Superman, but that's because the movie was a mess. And, you know, I'll obviously criticize, you know, his movies... Uh, you know to a fair point case in point uh, the Snyder cut it had way too much slow-mo shit. Like they you couldn't go a couple of minutes without something happening in slow-mo. Uh, there's a there's a scene where Lois Lane goes to get coffee and it's it's in fucking slow-mo. Why? It doesn't need to happen. Uh, but beyond that I can I can tolerate the slow-mo shit. The real important stuff to me is the writing the dialogue the representation of the characters and how they are in the film and all of that is 10 out of fucking 10 for the snyder cut it is uh if you ask me had this movie came out in its whole form way back you know in 2017 it it could have competed with infinity war or, or or endgame like and that's that's you know that's that's my hot take about it you know Like, I know some people are going to watch this movie and still be like, ah, this movie's still shit, whatever. And to me, I think is just a casual dismissal because, you know, you either have people who just don't give a shit about DC and they're Marvel fans and they want to see DC fail because there are plenty of people like that. Or you have people who just don't want to give it the chance because they see the runtime and they're like, "I I don't have four hours to kill like that. And that I understand a little bit more. But, uh, Give it the shot. If you're, if you haven't seen the Snyder Cut, and you want to make a day for it, or you don't even have to watch it in in one day. Do do two days. Do three days. Do however long you need. You know, like I said, it, it's got a little uh, track line for the movie. You know, for the time. It's got little checkpoints in it, so you know where you at. You know the parts. You know the epilogue is already there. You can plan a day out, watch the Snyder Cut. Uh, if if you if you are remotely a DC fan, I promise you, it'll fucking change your opinion about Justice League.
0: And um, that's just full stop. I'd, I'd even add on to that and be like, listen, if you have not watched even the Whedon cut, and you're even vaguely interested in watching this Snyder cut, I would say watch them both. Because if you watch the Whedon cut, you will 100% appreciate more what the snyder cut has done if you watch originally where this film came from and i think it's very important to watch them back to back not only to have context of the changes but just like i said to see the kind of journey and the evolution that this film has gone through since release
1: i agree Uh, that's that is 100 and that's what i did uh the day before, not even the day before, uh, the day it did come out, I watched the Whedon cut in its entirety and, you know, it was still fresh in my mind and I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever, this, this movie is still, eh. And uh, the very next day, I sat down for the Snyder cut. You know, I timed it. So, you know, I was watching it through dinner and uh this, uh, this movie, I-, I was telling Jay as the movie was wrapping up, you put this on a fucking Blu-ray, I'm buying it. That's that's how much better it is. That's how much of a transformative experience the Zack Snyder cut is. It like it it does it does the Justice League, actual justice. And <laughs> there's no getting around it, man. There's like it, it's it was so good. It actually makes me want to go see the extended cut of Batman vs. Superman. I'm actually willing to give that a try now. And that's i don't say that shit lightly man because i just do not like that movie
0: yeah i mean it's gonna make a lot of people revisit a lot of these other movies with a new lens kind of over it you know especially some of the extended cuts for the other films that are out there those penned by Zack snyder and those not and i will say kind of you know to wrap up this podcast because we've been going at it for a while but uh (laughs) I will say that uh, I do agree with Mike wholeheartedly. Anyone who is even moderately interested in this franchise, you know, or DC, you know, comics or anything, you know, superhero genre films, even if you're a Marvel fan, a DC fan, whatever you want to call it yourself, I think you should check it out. And I definitely say if you have not seen the Whedon cut, I would, even though it's not the better version of the film, I would still watch it so you can kind of get the context of the changes and kind of, you know, the evolution to see where we came from, to how we got to the Snyder Cut, and I think it's, if anything, if nothing else, I should say, it's a good, you know, historical piece just to understand the context of why the Snyder Cut is so important and why it's so rare for a movie to kind of get its own retcon and for a studio to pay for the movie to be retconned, and that's a big deal in and of itself. But um, with that said, me and Mike are going to wrap it up here. This is bid. You know a great episode of the jay and mike take flight podcast possibly one of our best and we thank all of you that tuned in to all our episodes and we're sorry that we haven't uploaded an episode recently but we hope to get back on it but this was one that could not wait we were really into this film and we want to share that enthusiasm with all of you and trust us when we say this we have some surprises in store as we get into the month of april and let's just say and i'll leave you with this little hint that in space, nobody can hear you scream. And with that, I want to say this has been the JM Mike Take Flight podcast. God bless you all. I hope you have a great day and a good rest of your March month. And we hope you like the podcast. Later.